We're going to jump right into the text. It's, we're uh, talking from the uh, lectionary this morning, so John 20, 19 to the 30th, or 19, verses 19 to the 30. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound at his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hands into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I love that image of Jesus breathing on his disciples, although it's, it's a little disturbing too. <laughs> yeah, right? But it's disturbing and beautiful at the same time, right? The, the image of God breathing is a very powerful image throughout our scriptures, right? The very name that, that the scriptures record as God is Yahweh, right? Some people uh, translate that as Jehovah. It's probably a mis translation, but anyway, that doesn't really matter. I just want you to do something because with me, because this is, this is how they think we should say the word. So I want you to take a deep breath with me, okay? All together, ready? That's how they believe the name of God is pronounced. Yahweh. Yahweh. That's incredible. We were created to breathe God's name, every breath, at every moment. God's name is sustaining us, filling us. It sends oxygen to our muscles, energy. That's profoundly deep and beautiful to me. And it reminds me that when I feel like the moments of Jesus on the cross where I'm thinking, God, why have you forsaken me? That God really is as close as our breath. Uh, Lord Alfred Tennyson wrote, Speak to him, thou for he hears. And spirit with spirit can meet. Closer is he than breathing and nearer than hands and feet. Without knowing it, we call on the name of God. Without even knowing. Unconsciously. And that, and that image of God breathing or inspiration as we often call it runs throughout the entire scriptures, Right? And I just want to pull on that thread a little bit this morning just to set up the rest of this this morning, okay? So let's begin in Genesis, right at uh, Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. This creation story ties the life of humans to God breathing into them. 
If you've been around RC, RCM for a minute, you, you're probably going to have heard me talking about this a lot because breath in dirt is the imagery for me of the human condition, both God's breath and the dirt of creation, both at once. God reaches into the earth. He creates and forms a being out of the very fabric of the planet. Right? And this, this should remind us that we're connected to the, all of creation, literally connected. We become it again, our bodies. We are family with creation. However, just being formed, there was still no life. Just a sculpture until God breathed breath into the nostrils, it says in most translations. We're both the breath of God and the dirt of creation. Sometimes we might act in a way that's like the breath of God. In other ways, we act like dirt. When we get to Job, we see that Elihu understands that God's breath is life. He says in Job 33, For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. I've got to be honest, Elihu doesn't say much worth repeating. No, it's not really great. But he speaks inspired words. To me, that's a great support for the idea of breath and dirt, right? Much of what Elihu says is a problem, mostly dirt. But in that moment, he's filled with the breath. So he says something God breathed. I, I keep coming back to this because I think there's freedom in it. The heroes of faith weren't only God-breathed. They were dirt, right? At times exceedingly divine, right? Doing incredible things, writing poetry, slaying giants, and then watching someone bathe on the roof. And we're all a combination of breath and dirt. So we can affirm when someone breathes something divine even though we know that they've acted like dirt when they've made mistakes. When we get to Ezekiel, we see another image of God breath. In Ezekiel 37, the dry bones. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to those bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all the, across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. Then as I watched, muscle and flesh formed over the bones, then skin formed to cover their bodies. But they still had no breath in them. They still had no breath in them. I think that's such a powerful image. Right, the bones began rattling, vibrating with the power of creation. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones, you know, 
they were moving. And they begin to come together. And connective tissue, ligaments grow, and muscle and organs and skin. Right? This is an incredible image. Bodies formed from nothing but bones, but still no breath. They were lifeless without God breathing into them. So when we come to today's passage that we read at the beginning, and Jesus breathes on his friends, there is deep significance attached to this imagery. Deep, right? In this story, it's like such a simple phrase. It just says, Jesus breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. But the meaning of the phrase contains much mystery, right? When Jesus breathes on them, the disciples knew that Jesus wasn't just checking to see if he needed a breath mint. They would have known the scripture imagery because they were an oral tradition. They would have recognized all these passages from the past, and they would have known what it meant for God to breathe. The author of John recognized it so much that he doesn't even include the story of Pentecost. This is John's Pentecost. It's a simple phrase that Jesus breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And I can't, I can't help but see the similarities between this story of Jesus breathing on his disciples and the beginning of our story in Genesis. Adam and Eve had just eaten of the fruit of the tree that they were not supposed to eat, and they're hiding from God. They're afraid. They're terrified. I think I've said this before, but hiding from God is not an easy task. The worst game of hide-and-seek ever, right? The disciples are scared, too. They're hiding in a locked room. And Jesus shows up in the way that God shows up to Adam and Eve, without blame for them leaving him, without shame for them betraying him, only with compassion, confirming that he loves them. Instead of blame and shame, he affirms their chosenness. And in the midst of chaos and fear, he says, peace. Just like at the beginning of creation, he hovers over the chaos of the water and says, peace be still. When God shows up and Adam and Eve are hiding afraid of God because of their shame, God clothes them. He covers them with shame and gives them peace. And Jesus does the same. He covers his disciples' shame with peace. I still think we, that we continue to miss on what God is doing because we believe that God's going to act like we do. We, we, we really want God to take vengeance on our enemies, to smite those who are different than us. But God shows up saying, love your enemies. We desire God to punish our oppressors, and God shows up saying, carry their load an extra mile. We think that God will take out their wrath on us because we betray them, so we hide, locked up in a room. But God shows up, breathing and saying peace. You know, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap in this story, right? Doubting Thomas. Imagine if that was your name for the rest of history, right? <laughs> Poor guy. He takes a beating. But I'm kind of less concerned with Thomas's behavior than Jesus's. Because I'm, I'm Thomas. Thomas is me. Who doesn't want to see something before they believe in it? Right. I get Thomas's actions. But Jesus confirms his, this character of God that gives Thomas another chance to believe. 
He offers the very thing that Thomas wants. In the Old Testament, every time God shows up, he says this thing, do not be afraid. He sends a messenger. The first thing they say to people is, do not be afraid. And that was because all the stories of God showing up was not very good, right? Not necessarily Yahweh, but other gods in their culture. It mostly had to do with vengeance, with killing, with wrath, with fire and famine. I wonder what people would have thought about a god who people beat, mock, kill, and betray. How would that god show up? And we know how he shows up. He appears in the midst of his friends and breathes on them and says, peace. Even though Thomas doubts, Jesus shows up. I wonder how much I act like Jesus in that, right? There's many times that Jesus addresses his friend's lack of faith. Oh, ye of little faith, why do you doubt? But Jesus always shows up in those moments, right? He shows up in the storm when the disciples are afraid, even though he was right there with them all along. He shows up in Peter's betrayal and confirms his love for him by saying three times that he loved him. Unfortunately, we often tend to write people off in the middle of their doubt. Right? We turn our backs, we stop supporting them so we don't enable them. But I think Jesus shows up with a twinkle in his eye. Right? It's almost like he loves the opportunity to show himself to those. It's almost like he's saying, you called me. And, oh, and we don't even remember that we called him. So he says, you breathed my name. Yeah. Then he shows up offering wounds to touch. You know, you know that sticking a finger in a wound is painful, right? You ever do it? I don't know, a hole that big, I don't know. Be very painful. But Jesus is willing to bear pain for his friends, even the ones that don't believe. And I wonder if we can follow Jesus into this. Can I breathe his breath? Can I remember that I breathe his breath? Would I be willing to bear pain so that others can experience the breath of God? Can I expose my wounds and allow others to stick their fingers in them? It's a terrible image, but a beautiful thought. Do we let others press on our wounds so they can experience the love of God? We're going we're gonna to end with a song from, from Tim called Magdalena, which... Uh, I found quite beautiful last night. And um, let me pray with you, and then they're going to play. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for making each one in your image. Remind us of that, that the person in front of us is made in your image. Remind us when they act like dirt, that they also have your breath in them.
as they died to serve the cause. And the years of revolution have released her share of loss. But she knows that she will see them and the one who brought them there. Magdalena, there'll be joy for you to share. Oh, Magdalena, do you remember when the world changed? Was rearranged, oh, Magdalena, do you remember when the veil She feels the pain of aging as she settles in a bath. And with a flood of light remembers how she ran that winding path. With a story from the garden, unbelievable and true. Magdalena, it was all that you could do. Thanks, folks.